Hello, and welcome to Husband and Wife Time, a podcast celebrating Lifetime movies. I'm Matt Caproletti. And I'm Elizabeth Blickle. And we're here today to talk with you about the 2015 film Kept Woman. This it, one is a doozy. It was everything I remembered it being. Yeah, I feel like there are some times where there's a movie that we watched. I mean, in this case, this is six years ago now. But this was just as enjoyable, if not more so. Yes. Its wildness really stood the test of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we're going to give you like a synopsis. We're just going to talk you through because a lot happens. Yeah. There's a lot to take in, both mm-hmm. visually and story-wise. Yeah. And it's all good. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right in. So the movie opens with Jess. Played by Courtney Ford. And her fiancé, Evan. Played by Andrew Walker. Returning home from a night of, their assessment, bad theater. Yes. (laughs) Was it that she designed the program? I believe so. Oh, right, because she's a graphic designer. She's a graphic designer. And the play was in quote-unquote New York City, and we know that because they use establishing shots of, I think, the Midtown Tunnel. I think that was the Midtown Tunnel. Which tunnel do you think that was? Or was it the Holland Tunnel or the 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 Lincoln Tunnel? They used the Brooklyn Bridge, my second favorite New York Bridge, and the Manhattan Bridge, my first favorite New York Bridge. (laughs) So we know we're in New York. Anyway, so they come back from this night of the theater, and they're... New York City apartment has been burglarized. So they move to the suburbs. Yep. So many things happen in that opening thing that I just need to sit with it for one moment. First of all, the wife, Jess, this will, for people who know comedians, this will make sense. She looks like Lauren Lapkus. That's who she reminds me of. Okay. You don't know her. I don't know who okay. that is, no. She's a, she's a pretty well-known comedian. Um, she has a podcast with Nicole Byer. Oh. You would recognize her. <laughs> Multiple thoughts. First of all, I would argue there are two villains in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I would argue her fiancé is the second villain. Yeah. In the opening scene, she's walked home in New York in heels, which is a feat. And he says to her... That he loves her in heels and she should wear them more. Or no, he says, I love you in heels. You don't wear them enough. (laughs) And I can tell you if Matt told me that I didn't wear heels enough, I would never wear heels again out of spite. Right. (laughs) There's not a comparable thing for men. It's so uncomfortable to wear heels for a full night. Yeah. And these were not short heels. These, she wasn't wearing like a kitten heel where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Not so, even going to the theater in an athletic cup and jockstrap, uh, uh, you know. I don't know. I've never worn those. <laughs> well, well, that's good. <laughs> these, are, these things are like, again, it's hard to compare gender stuff because it's like apples to oranges. Like things are just different. Yeah. But... Not to get into feminism this early in, but I think it's harder to be a woman. Well, and society expects more of women. Uh, and it comes up repeatedly. Yes. How, you know, <laughs> women are expected. But anyways, so they are in their New York City apartment, which has been burglarized. And the burglar has not left. Yeah. And he holds them up at gunpoint. And they're like, when he leaves, he says, if you follow me, I'll shoot you. They are pretty nonchalant about having been, I mean, even if the gun's not loaded, having been held at gunpoint. Well, the way he says, just one more thing, give me your engagement ring. And and, and so it's a burglary and then kind of a holdup as he gets the engagement ring off of her. Frankly, I'd be like... Take it, yeah. not, you know, based on events that have happened recently and will continue to happen. I'm not sure I want to marry this guy. Right. Um, but so then they proceed to Jess, you know, Evan wakes up in the middle of the night and Jess is not in bed and Jess is packing to move immediately. And they move their entire New York City apartment 
It had multiple rooms. It had a hallway. They move all of that in a trailer. Where's their couch? Yeah, it's not even a truck. It's not even a U-Haul truck. It's the little trailer being towed by their car. Yeah. Also, they have a car in New York. Yeah. All of this is so unrealistic. I mean, that's why we're sticking on it. Because we lived in New York for a really long time. Different areas in New York. And then when we... When we started dating the same area, obviously. Yes. (laughs) But having a car in New York is a luxury. Yeah. Not everyone has it. They talk about how they're struggling. Mm -hmm. If you're struggling, the car would probably be the first cut. And he presumably has some well-paying job that he hates. Yes. He talks about that. Like, that's her problem. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so they move to the suburbs, and... And the first thing that happens is that their neighbor, Simon, comes to welcome them Mm -hmm. and give them a bottle of wine to welcome them to the neighborhood. And he tells them that he's a men's studies professor at the local college. Right, right. And Simon is played by Sean Benson, who is ably outfitted at every appearance in this movie in Tweed. Uh, Okay, um, yes. He looks like Tweed and fedoras. Yes. He, this guy wears... I I never saw a hat on a professor unless it was like a professor was wearing a hat because they'd just come in from out of the snow and then they removed their hat. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he wears fedoras constantly. And I tried to put my finger on what he looks like. He kind of looks like... Justin Timberlake in the early aughts. Okay. Mixed with Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> he doesn't look like any professor I've ever seen. Sure, yeah. His outfits are... Well, that's because you, you maybe you didn't take men and masculinities. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take men and masculinities. Frankly, that's not a course one needs to take. We call that course society. <laughs> and women get battered with its information every day. He also drives a car from the 1950s. Yeah. So immediately you're kind of being introduced to his aesthetic and and the era that he would like to live in. Mm-hmm. And he kisses Jess's hand. Yes. It's a very strange way of being introduced to someone. You know, even pre-pandemic, I'm not super interested in having someone who I'm not dating or married to put their wet mouth on my hand. <laughs> dry mouth too. It doesn't really matter if it's wet or dry. I, I don't know. Something about that, you know, sometimes customs fade away. More. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. No mouth on hand. Action for this. Wet or dry. I don't want your mouth on my hand. <laughs> but sometimes norms and mores fade away from our society for a reason. Don't put your mouth on my hand. I don't know you. You just met her. And by the way, I don't think they did that in the 50s. The the era that he wants to live in. I think they did that in like the 1850s. Yes. <laughs> and he clearly wants to live in the 19th. He wants a car. Yeah. But he also wants servile women. Yes. So he kisses her hand. And because she makes a joke about men's studies... He calls her a firecracker. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Maybe women tell me if I'm wrong. Firecracker is a dog whistle for you, right? It's a dog whistle for me. I feel like it's you're alerting me to something without just saying the n- nasty thing outright. Mm-hmm. As long as it's an adult, what if it's a if it's a child that you're talking about, like that has like a lot of personality or zest or? I don't know. Granted, there are no children in this movie, so there um, aren't. But I'm trying. I think what you're trying to get at is like, can you say that of a child? Because you're saying like the child is precocious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know why it sounds like a dog whistle to me. I think it's like the coded way of saying you're a mouthy broad. Yeah. And, and like in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I love a mouthy broad, <laughs> but, but I think it's the coded way for people who don't like mouthy broads to be like, you've overstepped the boundaries of what a woman is allowed to say. Yeah. 
I don't think there are boundaries for what a woman is allowed to say. Or at least if there are boundaries of what you're allowed to say, it's no different than a man. Right. You know, but I think this guy obviously would disagree with me. And, Certainly. And he wouldn't just call me a firecracker. While we're talking about Simon, though, this actor does an amazing job of coming off as like a straight, abusive, control freak villain from word one. Yeah. Now, some of that's costuming, which I thought was perfect for what we're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. I thought the costuming for, you know, all people was good, but his in particular to like set the tone for who he is. Yeah, I thought the plot... I, I have good things to say about this. Yeah. Anyways. He, yeah. So what was your reaction to Simon? I mean, he wholly inhabits this persona of 50s guy. Yeah. And the way in which he brings over the bottle of wine. He has a wine cellar. He talks about how he has TV dinners. Yeah. And he talks about his upbringing, where his mother was in the kitchen. But if you... What is it that he says? If you came, uh, you tried... Oh, that comes up when they invite him over for dinner. Oh, yes, yes, right, because... But he says that when his mother... He came from a traditional household. The dad was the Mm breadwinner, and the mom was... He probably called her a housewife. And he said when anyone... If anyone tried to come into her kitchen, she would threaten to stab them... With a butcher knife? With a butcher knife. Which is like... If you wonder how Simon turned out so incorrectly, yeah. in this case, we can blame the parents. Mm-hmm. We can blame that level of violence being... <laughs> being t- I mean, Matt loves to cook. I don't think he would ever... Threat- First of all, we don't even have a butcher knife. And Matt breaks down chickens on the reg. But like... <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> you do. I mean, he makes a really good chicken soup. And... We don't have a butcher knife, and we probably should, because I'm sure it would make it easier. But even if we did, I can't imagine if someone tried to come into our kitchen that you'd be like, hey, I got this knife. The boning knife might be a better accessory there, but I can't say I've considered it. Yeah. A butcher's knife is really unwieldy. I do feel like you're right, that the smaller Mm. knives get the point across (laughs) or or get the job done, (laughs) depending on whether you mean to make good on that threat. But so they have this like sort of awkward first interaction and then he leaves and we find out that Jess has a friend online named Oscar and they're mm-hmm. online crime solvers for missing person cases. Yes. And again, we get into New York City stuff because Oscar lives in a gigantic warehouse. Yes. That Did with, you describe it as a lair? I would describe it as a lair, except he's a good guy. Yeah. It is the biggest thing I've ever seen. I mean, for real, it's an actual warehouse. Like back when the meatpacking district was actually a meatpacking district, it was like this where you had like huge, but his is two stories. Yeah, It's not a place a person could buy unless they had like $15 million. Mm -hmm. And we get the impression that Oscar does not have $15 million. But it also, despite the fact that he's a good guy, it has a very creepy, dark lighting to it. Yes. It looks like the place you'd be taken in Taken. (laughs) But so Evan comes home, my least favorite husband, and (laughs) says he hopes dinner isn't cold. He was in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And she says she didn't get around to making dinner. She was occupied with something else. Mm-hmm. She'd been doing one of the missing person cases with Oscar all day. Yes. And Evan finds out that she was doing that. And he says, I know my name is the only one on the mortgage, but we agreed we'd be in it. We prom- you promised <laughs> we'd be in it together. <sighs> yeah. The, there are just so many of those nuggets of distaste. Yes, and then he also says he doesn't like that she's talking to some guy on the internet while he's off earning their mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. By the way, she also makes money. She has a job. But even if she didn't, holding money over your partner like that for control is a bad look. Yeah. And it's not like she was... 
I don't know. I can't think of something that's like a useless hobby. She was trying to solve a missing person case with Oscar. Mm-hmm. How could you fault someone for that? Right. Anyways, so Jess kind of is a mea culpa to both Simon and Evan. I hate them both. <laughs> uh, <laughs> decides to invite Simon to dinner to thank him for giving them wine. And during this dinner, Evan says that he's the one who does most of the cooking. Just basic things like stir fries. Is stir fry basic? I'm a bad cook, so like stir fry sounds complicated to me. I guess it's basic enough. I don't know. You chop some things, meats, vegetables, you throw them in a pot. Okay, well, I mean, I'm not going to give him any credit. Let's call it basic, because I hate Evan. <laughs> right. But so, uh, they're talking about how he is the cook, and Jess is an okay baker, and he really, in particular, likes her rhubarb pie. And he says, she hasn't made him a rhubarb pie in a long time. Yeah, you used to do that when I did something good, he says. <laughs> if we have any friends whose husbands treat them like this, I just want you to know, this is not how people are supposed to talk to each other. If your partner critiques you more than they praise you, or let's say if your partner critiques you more than they're neutral toward you, mm-hmm. you've got a problem. Yeah. Because he critiques her for wearing heels He critiques her for not having dinner on the table. He talks about that when they started dating, she went into his closet and put lipstick on all of his shirt collars. Now that feels like a valid critique to me, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) That is starting a relationship with a level of distrust that does not seem healthy. Also an unnecessarily dry cleaning bill. Yeah, well, if you can get the lipstick out, because you're not guaranteed you can. It's in, that por- part is important for later. That's why they even say that. Yeah. Because honestly, she does not seem like an untrusting person. No. He seems like an untrusting person. Mm-hmm. She's talking to some guy on the internet about a missing person, and he's like implying that she's having an emotional affair or something. Which, by the way, like in terms of things that are good romance builders or like sexy talk, I would imagine a missing person is so low on the list. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't imagine being like, ooh, Sarah Green, last seen at the grocery store, 11.42 p.m. on October 12th, 1994. Let's dig into the police report. Also, sex. <laughs> like, that's so, whatever. Tonight on Cold Case, things are heating up. Usually on Cold Case, when things are heating up, it's like, we're going to solve the case. It's not like Cold Case after dark. (laughs) Sure. So Simon, at this point, talks about his traditional household and his father being the provider. And then Mm -hmm. he he tells a story about um, how his fiance left him for the man she was cheating on him with. Okay. One, couples, if you have gripes with each other, don't air them when you've invited someone over for dinner. So that rhubarb pie moment, don't say things like that. No one has fun when you're fighting. And two, Simon, also a bummer, your cheating story. (laughs) You guys are really killing the like dinner party vibe with your bummer stories. (laughs) Um, so what was your reaction to all of that? Well, I think that, I mean, it it sets things up so that we get to know Simon and and what he's about. And we also get to know how lousy Evan is to Jessica. Yes. And it also sets up the fact that she is tracing these missing persons cases and is able to be intuitive and look for details uh, like the fact that we later see her asking Simon about why he has so many groceries in his car and says it's a lot of groceries for a single guy. Especially one who said he only eats TV dinner. Right. So we were seeing like 
leafy kale peeking out of the grocery bag. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you only eat TV dinners, what are the chances you're supplementing with kale? Right. It's not in a not in a classic <laughs> Swanson hungry man, because we no. know that's his choice of TV dinner. Yes. He likes a, a an overtly masculine. <laughs> it's part of men's studies. It's, you know, right in there in the syllabus. So after this dinner party, one of the weirdest things of the movie happens Evan tells Jess that she should set Simon up with a friend. Yes. Which is like so outside of the realm of things I would be considering after this dinner party. First of all, it would have been very hard for me to get through a full dinner. You know, he said a lot of weird things. But we would have soldiered through and then never spoken to him again and kept a real close eye on, like, Simon the Weirdo Neighbor. I would want to think of female friends of mine to say, oh, yes, I would never set them up with Simon. (laughs) Would you like to be in an emotionally abusive relationship with a man who dresses like Justin Timberlake from the early aughts but does not have his money (laughs) and instead teaches a class about how men are so persecuted and wants you to wear a fit and flare silk dress and high heels for dinner at home and never speak unless he speaks to you Mm -hmm. and to make his dinner. I mean, he essentially wants someone to like manage his home. He wants like a house manager who he also has sex with Mm -hmm. and treats like dirt. Right. That's not a, I would, all of that would disqualify him from me setting up. I mean, the knife thing, I immediately, the mom with the butcher knife, I would have been like, okay, this guy's weird. Like, no way for my friends. And then the cheating story. I mean, he told it, he was like, and then she left me with the guy she was (laughs) cheating on me with. It was like such a weird tone for how he was telling it Mm. that I, I would have been like, I don't think he's, you know... It's not very nice, but single for a reason comes to mind. Uh-huh. And I feel comfortable saying that not nice thing, considering, considering everything that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But, so Evan also says that Simon is the only not boring thing in the neighborhood. Oh, that's right, yeah. Which I guess technically is true. Mm-hmm. Simon is not boring. No, far from it. He's many things. Mm-hmm. A bad dresser, a professor of a questionable area of study, a a straight criminal. (laughs) Continuing on. So Jess is returning a shovel that she borrowed from Simon and she goes and knocks on his door and he's not there. And so she's like peering in his window. Well, Simon has cameras everywhere and he's actually watching her from inside. And so he calls her on the phone and says, can you come over? I wanted to talk to you. And so she goes over, despite her gut feeling that she shouldn't really be engaging with this person. And we're inside Simon's house. Mm -hmm. And he says he got her something. And he bought her a robin's egg blue silk fit and flare dress like straight out of the fifties. You it's like leave it to Beaver, very, very classic woman's dress from that era. Now she takes it out of the bag and we get a close-up of her face and we see that tears are starting to well up in her eyes. Yes. Because she knows what's about to happen. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't think she knows the full scope of what's about to happen. Right. But she knows what's about to happen is bad. Mm-hmm. And He says when he saw her looking through his window, he realized she wanted to be in there with him. Uh And he didn't choose her. She chose him. Yes. And then, blam, he chloroforms her. (laughs) So apparently part of men's studies is chemistry to knock women out. Yes. Which... Not to like call Bruce Boxleitner into the frame, but (laughs) sounds about right. Chloroforming women sounds about like the type of thing you would study in men's studies 101. Mm -hmm. Aside from how aggrieved men are, you would be studying like roofies for drinks. Yes. Chloroform for ending mouthy conversations. Kidnapping strategies. Yes. Um, (laughs) So she wakes up from being drugged 
and she's in this other world that we learn is Simon's basement. Mm-hmm. The interiors on this... Perfect. The period recreation, the pink stove, the, the kitchen. Uh, just a time capsule from Eisenhower's America. We didn't really introduce you to this movie, but if you ever watched the Brandon Fraser, Alicia Silverstone movie, Blast from the Past, and you wondered what would happen if Blast from the Past was tossed into a blender with the movie Room starring Brie Larson... This is your answer. (laughs) This is what happens when the 1950s bunker is actually a scary place. Yeah. So the place is all set in the 1950s. And this woman who's got... I mean, would you say Betty Draper? I mean, the vibes are like early Betty Draper. Yeah. You know, but with less depth and more brainwashed. So Robin, who's wearing a cardigan and a fit and flare mid-calf dress mm-hmm. to give you... I mean, she's dressed like it's the 1950s. Yeah. Says, welcome, you're home. And she tells Jess it's Simon's basement and Jess tries to get out. I'm going to stop right here, though. I just want to point out, Simon. In that traditional two-parent household you're describing from the 1950s, that mirage of a time and country that never really existed anyway, and that you have such a fixation on specifically because you're white, and that enables you to have a fixation on that as the quote-unquote good old days, it was two-parent household, not a husband and his Two wives. Yeah. There weren't two wives on Leave it to Beaver, you sicko. (laughs) By the way, on that, they didn't even sleep in the same bed. On all those sitcoms you grew up loving, you didn't even... They were in separate twin beds. Maybe it's Leave it to Beaver on TLC. Yeah, I mean... it. (laughs) But of course, people like this never... You know, the mental gymnastics that can be done to accommodate anything that suits their worldview. I mean... You need to... Simone Biles-like skills to... Yes, uh, to justify this three-parent household that we are developing. Although anyone looking at that situation, and Robin in particular looking at that situation, has a sense of how that's going to go. Yeah. But so... While this is happening, while she's waking up, Simon is taking clothes from Jess's house and she mm-hmm. smash he smashes a picture frame that has Evan and Jess in it and he wants it to look like Jess is leaving Evan. Yeah. Evan comes home early and Simon sneaks out of the house with a gun in his hand, like he was going to shoot Evan if necessary. Simon sets up all of these elements to paint the picture to Evan that Jess is leaving him. Yeah. We later see him asking Jess for her email and password. Mm-hmm. So she he's able to send Evan a breakup email on yes. her behalf saying it's easier this way, etc., she, he also says she found someone new who understands her, some yeah. malarkey like that. <laughs> Which, we got into this in Revenge Delivered. Simon, you are essentially enacting your trauma onto Evan. Your trauma is that you were left... Well, it's a claimed trauma, because we discover that it's a complete lie. Because the woman he claims was cheating on him and left him is Robin. Right. Who was not cheating on him, was not his girlfriend, and did not leave him, cannot leave him. Yes. Um, But you are enacting that fictional trauma now onto Evan, who's being left by a cheating wife. And then in the meantime, we see Jessica trying to struggle against accepting the fact that she's now confined to Simon's basement. The, this basement bunker is behind a wine cellar. Mm-hmm. For someone that loves the 50s, 
Simon is remarkably technolog- uh, technologically savvy. Yes. Uh, unless he, it's the again, 50s of like building a fallout bunker um, in which he has but done they, to a T. But they, wouldn't, they would not have had that level of computerization or yes. whatever you want to call it. The codes this, People who talk about those, the good old days, never actually want to live in them. They want the modern medicine we have. Mm-hmm. They want the modern technology. The cameras the that he cameras, has. cameras. Home cameras were not a thing in the 50s. Anyways, so Jess tries to escape. The basement is concrete. It's, I mean, the whole set is like one foot in. It's like a film set, set one foot in from this huge concrete wall that covers the entire basement. It's soundproof. And Simon says to her, she can try to escape, but she won't be able to. He changes the codes all the time. And if she kills him, she'll die down there like a slave with her pharaoh. Yes. Um, and we discover through conversations with Robin that Robin was Simon's student. He picked her. Mm-hmm. And Robin acts according to Simon's wishes. It seems like she isn't totally brainwashed. I think she's worried that now that Simon has a new wife, he'll kill her. Because he doesn't buy her a dress when he buys Jess a dress. Yeah. And he gives Robin... Or he gives Robin's seat at the table, the dining table, to Jess. And he's complimenting Jess. And he's not really taking notice of Robin. Mm-hmm. And I think the motivation for Robin's character is not like, I'm so in love with this guy. I want to do what he says. I think she's struggling with, like, she's a little bit brainwashed and doesn't think she can escape. And also... She wants to be seen as the primary wife because she doesn't want to be murdered. Right. And she does make allusion to Megan, the previous woman who had been down there. And she tells Jess that, who asks what happened to Megan, and Robin was made to kill Megan. So So what happens is Jess hasn't accepted her fate yet. She's a firecracker. She's not going to lie down and take this. With a crime investigator's intuition. Sure. So at dinner, one of the first nights, she whams Simon with a frying pan in the back of the head and ties him up. But Robin thwarts her in this like plot to get out. And Simon gets loose and he holds Jess up against the wall by her throat and just spits in his face. Yeah. And then he, with spit still on his face, leans in and kisses her on the mouth. And it's so creepy. <laughs> but so Robin says to... Number Jeff, two of creepy wet mouth episodes. Keep your wet mouth away from me. Um, especially if it's covered in spit. I don't want it anywhere. Not my hand, not my mouth. Keep your spitty mouth all over. So... Robin later explains to Jess that she would have ended up like Megan if Robin hadn't stopped her and that Megan was the girl before Robin and Robin was forced to kill Megan as a punishment Mm -hmm. for trying to escape for Megan trying to escape, I believe. And she says she can't murder anyone again, which is understandable and that's the other reason I think she's trying to stay primary wife is that she sees the writing on the wall. Yeah. I don't think she thinks the two wives thing is sustainable. Right. I think she thinks at some point one of them is going to die and she just doesn't want to die. And that's understandable. Yeah, because of the way it plays out. I <laughs> yes. mean, she tries to sell out Jess well, to Simon. Let's get into the background with the other stuff that's happening. Now. Okay. So Evan, throughout this process is first he comes home when Jess is missing and he sees her stuff, eventually sees that a ton of her stuff is missing. And he comes over to ask Simon if Simon knows where Jess is. And Simon says no. And Simon says, you know, Simon is asked about the woman he was seeing And he says he was trying to be discreet because he was seeing a graduate student, but they're no longer seeing each other anymore. And so apparently they don't talk about like sexual harassment and power dynamics and power imbalances in men's studies, (laughs) which just as a, you know, as a woman, 
I'm saying your studies might be better if we included some of that. Yeah. But you would never listen to me because I'm a feminist and I'm definitely a firecracker. But, you know, (laughs) so he's investigating this with a cop friend of his who came when they had the break in. Yeah. But they're like, they, they interview Simon and they're like, la la la, like basic questions. And they accept everything he says on faith. Face on face, yeah, on face, and so back to the bunker. So just so you know, all of like at first, Evan is is trying to find Jess just to make sure she's okay, and then he gets the email and he's like, "Forget her. I'm selling this house. I'm moving." We see him pounding an old school for sale sign into the lawn. Who does that anymore? I don't know. I mean, for sale signs exist, but like he's not using a realtor, I guess. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, we we had we. Did he's the one paying the mortgage, and he's got to we, put in his own for sale sign. We, well, we had to do we had to do an extensive basement set for the 1950s thing, so I'm assuming we did not have the budget for a friendly <laughs> realtor. So, uh, or a ruthless realtor. A ruthless realtor. So then back to the bunker after Jess has tried to escape, and you know she's been told about Megan, and it was so creepy, but. So basically the cameras in the house are set up so that in the bunker on a 1950s style TV with like the wood edge and whatever, you watch the footage of what is happening in real time at the door. And so she sees Simon and Evan upstairs. Evan thinks he's friends with Simon for, you know, I mean, they don't call it men's intuition for a reason. (laughs) Um, but so I think what happened was that Simon invited him over, right? Yeah. And they're having a beer watching the game. Classic men's stuff. You know, we're going to eat a steak and have a beer and watch the game and talk about broads. (laughs) And so they're watching this on the fifties set down in the bunker. Yeah. And we see that, um, when Evan goes and gets a beer, Simon pretends like he's going to shoot. Evan, he points the gun at Evan as he's walking away and he's doing all this to scare Jess into submission. And he later tells Jess that if she tries to escape again, he's not going to kill her. He's going to kill Evan. So then Evan is trying to sell his house and there's tension between Jess and Robin because this is months later because Simon was with Jess on robin's night yes and things were a lot better before you showed up she tells her yeah i mean you had to murder someone before she shows up things were not better yeah but so robin i think kind of seeing the writing on the wall she's no longer the primary attentions have shifted from her yeah she later lies and tells simon that Jess told Robin that she still loves Evan and she's planning to try to escape again. And so Simon wakes Jess up and he says lying is a cancer and it has to be cut out of families. Mm -hmm. And he slices Robin's throat Mm -hmm. right in front of Jess. And he claims he knew they were lies because he's the head of the household. Mm-hmm. And then he disposes of Robin. Now, he did not know they were lies. He just... He was done with his old ball and chain. Yeah. He, this is a guy who, like... I mean, come on, bro. In the, like, description you have of the traditional two-parent household, it's not a revolving set of doors for... Yeah. You know, what you want, actually, is what Henry VIII had. You want, when you get tired of a woman, to be like... I'm not just going to send her out into the world. She's dead. Henry VIII didn't need to kill his own wives. I'm presuming. I'm presuming. So then this police officer friend of theirs, they're trying to find Jess. And he comes to Simon's house to question him. And Simon kills the cop, of course. And Jess watches it on that 1950s TV set. Yep. And... And that's off of a tip from Oscar. Yes. Oscar appears every so often... To help. He's not given a lot of backstory or depth. He's mm-hmm. really just there to serve the, the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so Evan is moving. And this is a big milestone. 
Simon takes Jess upstairs and he cocks his gun in case she screams, but she doesn't. She kind of like, it was a good, in terms of like play acting and character development and like her being sneaky, she stands there in her like 1950s fit and flare dress and she kind of like swivels her arms and her hips, but like how kids do that, like, you know, when they're standing still, but they're kind of still like moving. She does that a little bit to a lesser degree than a child does it, but she's like swiveling her shoulders. Like I'm, what am I waiting for? Like that Mm -hmm. kind of, but like to imply that she's just waiting for him to tell her what's going on. And like, she's content to wait because she's not a firecracker anymore. Yeah. It was a subtle, like physical move, but I thought it was really good. She plays it like she loves him and they have a hug and she like buries her face on his shoulder in his neck area. And then so they talk about, oh gosh, Evan's moving back to the city. I wish there was something we could do for him. Mm-hmm. And Simon brings over a bottle of wine mm-hmm. that he knows Evan likes from his cellar. Just as a side note, this is a, I mean, again, I get into hair splitting sometimes. A cellar is not above ground. He has an, a, a first floor cellar. Right. That's not a cellar. That's mm-hmm. a wine rack. Yeah. It's an extensive wine rack. Mm-hmm. But a cellar implies that it's below ground. Yes. Correct? Isn't yeah. that part of the definition of the word that cellar is subterranean? That makes sense. I, would think. I, I didn't think about it before, but mm-hmm. it's not a cellar. It's a hidden door behind a wine rack. Yeah. Continuing on. <laughs> you thought you'd get through an episode without me splitting hairs. Absolutely not. <laughs> Never. And if I ever do, you should question my health. <laughs> so, after Simon brings over the bottle of wine, they chit-chat, Evan's headed back to the city. Evan does notice some blood on Simon's collar. Lipstick. Oh, it's lipstick. He, yeah. He notices lipstick on his collar, like the lipstick she put on his collars at the beginning of their relationship. And he's like, that's Jess. That's the sign. Yes. Okay. Right. Intuition. This is like the time I realized in real time, the thing about the eggs in Devil Mommy or Devil Daddy, whoever knows which one. And I was like, oh, that's why they were using eggs so much. Yeah, it was it was lipstick. Right. And oh. I mean, he's not terribly observant, so I'm glad he actually kn- she had to like, you know, essentially wham him over the head with a frying pan for him to get it. Yeah. Instead of taking this like dear John email and being like, "Well, I guess this woman who I've known for however many years just decided to leave me with an email and then never contact her family again." Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, he sees lipstick on the collar and realizes it's Jess and that Simon must have Jess in some fashion. Right. And and thank God he's smart enough to know it's not like that's the guy she left him for. Yeah. So then when Simon gets home from his little wine drop off, Jess says to him that she wants to bake him rhubarb pie and yeah. he's very excited because mm-hmm. he thinks that's that means that he's done something good yeah so she bakes him the pie and sets it up as a picnic and he's like you forgot forks now that she's done something wrong and she's like it's a picnic we have to eat with our hands this girl is so smart mm-hmm. so his reaction was like if you told a kid they were going to disneyland yeah there was like he was like Ooh, like it's the most fun thing in the yeah. world to eat food with your hands. Also, you're an adult. Like if you if eating food with your hands gives you this level of pleasure, eat food with your hands more often. Like no one's stopping you. Is there not a medieval times near you? It was an <laughs> extreme reaction. It was. Also, just as a side note, part of what I think he's reacting to is that it's something quote fun and something different. Yeah spontaneous well yeah your life could be a lot more spontaneous if you didn't have such a rigid pharaoh like control over everything yeah eating food with your hands could be but the first of many (laughs) spontaneous excitements if you weren't keeping sex slaves you madman yeah (laughs) 
Anyways, so they eat the pie. Mm-hmm. And then Evan arrives. Yes. Thankfully, Evan arrives at the right time. Mm-hmm. And Simon goes up to kill him. But because he's got the pie on his hands, uh-huh. she can see which buttons he's touched on the keypad. Yep. Simon and Evan are scuffling. Jess escapes. And she tells Simon that he'll have to kill her when she gets up to the area where everyone's scuffling. And he says he's not going to kill her. He's going to make her wish she was dead. Yeah. Back in the bunker. And she sprays him in the eyes with hairspray or something. Or like. Yeah. Raid. Something Mm -hmm. in an aerosol can. And then hits him with the fire extinguisher. That's a pretty good swing. Repeatedly. And then Evan like rouses himself and is like, just stop. So that she doesn't full out kill Simon. Mm -hmm. And then the conclusion. Yeah. So we fast forward a year later and they're back in the city. Mm -hmm. Jess is on her way to visit Simon in prison. And we learn she spoke for him not receiving the death penalty, which Simon thinks is like a thank you. And she's like, no, I want you to spend your life in prison. I want you to know you never broke me. I don't care what you know about women. I outsmarted you. She says, I know what you think about women. Mm. Like how badly you think of women. And I outsmarted you. And she gives him a copy of a book that she's written about Simon called Kept Women. And she inscribes it to him. Simon, this is your fate. Accept it. End scene. She says there's a happy ending. Yes. For her at least. Yeah. And then she leaves. Now, in many ways, this movie stuck the landing. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think she should have been with Evan. Yeah. Evan is a bad husband. Is he miraculously going to reform and stop asking her to wear heels? Yeah, he's closer to Simon than he is to a nice guy. Asking about heels, asking about the pie, is dinner on the table? The mortgage that he's Holding money over her head. You know, acting like she's cheating with someone because she's speaking to them on the internet. That's a very Mike Pence attitude toward male-female relationship. She's not even allowed to talk to men. And if she does talk to men, there's the threat of cheating. You know, I hate to spoil this for you, Matt, but I talk to men all the time. I mean, not now. I don't talk to that many people at all. But, but like, this is going to come out after the 4th of July. We'll have been to 4th of July parties. I will probably talk to men. I might even talk to men not in your presence. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Perish the thought. And, and here's the thing. At no point am I cheating on you. So it's like, I think the concept that, like, women and men cannot be alone in discussions with each other and can't be alone in rooms with each other is so detrimental to both men and women. It implies that like women are should just like expect to be prey and that men are uncontrollable monsters. Mm-hmm. And so like unchecked appetite. Yes, and can only be kept in control by the presence of other people, which is I expect more of men. Just as yeah. a as a fact, like it, you, if you've been listening to this show, you know that I'm a feminist. You may think I expect less of men. No, I think men are capable of everything. What I'm saying is, I I exist with the expectation that a woman and a man can talk, and they're not having an affair. I think they can have conversations about things that have nothing to do. I mean, like, I exchanged recipes with a man recently. Were you, like, afraid that I was having an affair? Well, it's not rhubarb pie. It wasn't rhubarb pie. It was snickerdoodle cookies in in exchange for ginger cookies. Um, (laughs) And not, you know, again, and not cookies in that horrible colloquial way people use it to describe sex organs because uh in case you hadn't picked up on it from all of these episodes 
I use scientific terms. <laughs> I'm not going to call it something like cookies. Anyways, this week, Matt was responsible. I guess the reason I'm latching on to Evan being a not sticking of the landing is because I, there's a lot I did not love about yeah. him. He's not a great guy. Bake me a pie, cook me dinner, wear heels, you know. The other men... But, but also, if you want that kind of traditional relationship, you don't also get to ask women to contribute financially. You can't have it both ways. In those traditional relationships, which, by the way, didn't even exist, women have been working forever. But in this, you know, mirage that you're looking for... Women weren't also expected to be the additional breadwinner and then do all of the domestic things too while wearing heels and mixing your stupid martini to be greeted at the door with a smile and a kiss. I mean, get off it. <laughs> this was 2015. Grow up. That's why I wouldn't be with Evan. I'd be like, yeah, thanks for helping me escape. <laughs> I mean, I did most of the work myself. Thanks for taking so long to figure out that the person I told you was creepy was creepy. And thanks for letting Oscar do most of the work, which he did. Yeah. Thanks for not batting an eye when your own friend got murdered and not thinking something might be up. Yeah. Both people in your life, your best friend and your wife disappear within four months of each other and you don't think something might be going on. But that aside, your attitudes toward gender relationships are wrong. And I'm done with you. I'm publishing my book. I'm going off to live my merry life. And that's what I think should have happened. I think she should have been like, you're not good enough either. Bye. <laughs> You've got some growing and modernizing to do yourself, sir. <laughs> to be clear, I don't care if women cook for men. I don't care if women don't work. These are not judgments of those things. I'm saying treating someone dismissively and condescendingly like they are, instead of like being your partner, like they are your, like he said in the movie, like you are a pharaoh and he is a, and you are a slave. Mm -hmm. That is where I get upset. Yeah. It is the treatment like you don't matter that to me is the problem. If you want to cook dinner for your husband, I think that's great. If you don't want to cook dinner for your husband, I think that's also great. Also fine. I love heels. I wear them sometimes. They're really uncomfortable, but some of them are really cute. If you want to wear them every day, that's great. But if your husband tells you you don't wear them often enough, that's a problem for me. I don't. I, it's the criticizing someone for not conforming to what you think is appropriate for a woman. That's where I start to get rankled. If you want to live a very traditional life and have a very traditional marriage, I think that's cool. Live your life. If it makes you happy to like cook for your husband and have dinner on the table and I love a fit and flare dress, you know, like if that's how you want to live your life, I think that's great. Do it. But I also think that he should be respecting you for doing that. Like, and not dangling the finances over your head like you don't make a contribution. Domestic work is valuable. I mean, if she wasn't your wife, you'd have to pay her to do all those things. And that's not cheap. Have you ever tried to get someone to come to your house to cook dinner for you? Not no, cheap. I haven't. It's not cheap. <laughs> Having a personal chef is not cheap. Having someone who cleans your home is not cheap. Not even to get into the part about how much you'd have to pay for someone to have sex with you. <laughs> we watched that movie. <laughs> yes. Anyways. So, so trivia? Bruce, you poor, poor man. <laughs> so trivia. Yes. Courtney Ford. This, we interrupt this rant to bring you this additional rant. I'm just saying they don't cast the one guy as a villain. <laughs> We're not done yet for some reason. I'm saying they don't cast the one guy as a villain, and he, to me, seems like a villain. Also. If you criticize your spouse routinely... To me, you're a, a bad spouse. Yeah. It's mean. It's not nice. And I wouldn't marry someone who did that. And I don't think anyone should. You should marry someone who likes you. And says nice things to you. I mean, it, that's like the bare minimum of things. Okay, I think I'm done. <laughs> so Courtney Ford, uh, wouldn't you know she was on an episode of Cold Case? 
I mean, she's been on Criminal Minds for an episode. She's been on Monk for an episode. Okay. NCIS for an episode. Okay. You know, she really hits all of those CSI New York. Maybe that's why she looks familiar, because I do watch... I do watch a crime show. These are all like single episode things. I know, but I Although um, you might have seen her. She was in True Blood for eight episodes. That's why I re- Who did she play? She played Portia Bellefleur. I'm trying to think of... I have no idea who that was. It's been a really long time since I watched True Blood, but that's for sure why I recognize her. Okay. Uh, might have also... Yeah, I think... I mean, she's been in a lot of like decently well-known things. I uh, don't think you would have seen her in Supernatural... Um, which she no. was in a bunch of episodes in. Uh, she was in but that Parent- was a popular show. She was in Parenthood for six episodes and Revenge for a few episodes. I did watch Revenge. Um, and Legends of Tomorrow, uh, which I have never seen or heard of, but apparently is run for a few years. She was in. Um, she is married, not to, not, to, not to talk about whom she's actually married to in real life, Okay. but um, she's married to Brandon Routh, um, who played Superman in a movie in like the like 2007 or something like that? Oh, okay. Um, uh, I hope he says nice things to her in real life. Mm-hmm. I hope he never tells her she doesn't wear wear heels enough, and you know, I hope he accepts pie when it's given, but doesn't demand it. And I hope he doesn't hang finances over her head. I hope so too. They've been married for since 2007. So. Okay. I also hope he doesn't keep her in a bunker. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, I, I know I cast Evan as a villain. I want to be clear. Simon's also a real villain. He's just a, an easier villain to spot. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Andrew W. Walker, who plays Evan, mm-hmm. who we've had a few things to say about. Yes. Uh, he first rose to fame on Sabrina. Okay. I don't remember him from that, but um, sure. He's been in 18 Hallmark movies. Okay. Uh, and he's been in several Lifetime holiday films, which is where we've seen him most okay. frequently. I, um, I want to just mention, my critiques of Evan are not critiques of the actor. They're critiques of the character he played. Sure. I, and I don't think he played them badly. I don't think he did a bad job. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the character as written, I had comments on, but not his acting and not even the writing of the character. Right. So... I, I wanted to be clear that I wasn't slamming his acting. He did a good job. Yeah. So he's in Christmas in Tennessee. Okay, we've in seen In which that. he plays a charming real estate developer who wants okay. to develop the mountain town and falls in love. I believe that's with Rachel Boston. Um, okay. I mean, don't they all? I, that you don't. If you don't watch Christmas movies on Lifetime, you are unaware. But there's the big city developer is such a cliche. The girl who goes to her hometown, she's been living in one of the big cities, you know, LA, Philly, New York, Boston, somewhere like that. And she goes home and realizes that- Why should I not leave my quaint- Cities are evil and and hometowns are where it's at. Yeah. So he was also in Snowed in Christmas. Wait, we just talked about that one in our last episode. Did we? Yeah, someone was in Snowed in Christmas in our last episode. Oh my goodness. Because I- you're talking about snowed in with two ends. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Someone, I can't remember who, someone was in our, because I mentioned it and oh I gosh. made a point to say that it was snowed in. Oh, how did I miss that? Okay. Anyways, snowed uh, in Christmas. That's one where he and Bethany Joy Lenz play rival journalists in Santa Claus, Indiana, who get stuck there. Okay. Bethany Joy Lenz is a great lifetime. She... There's something very warm about her. Mm-hmm. She's perfect for a Lifetime movie. She for sure, yeah, for sure, gifts her neighbors those like cookie assortments, <laughs> which are like my fantasy gift. <laughs> are those like cookie assort homemade, of course? Yes. But those cookie assortments that you get at Christmas, she for sure gifts like everyone on the block one of those. Yeah. Um, he was also a, just one of his whole. I mean, we don't watch Hallmark movies, but one of his Hallmark movies was called Bridal Wave, and he co-stars with uh, Ariel uh, Keppel. Um, and I just, you know. You know, podcasting is a is an auditory medium, so you couldn't see the length of the blank I gave in response <laughs> to that, but how on earth did we miss Bridal Wave? I know, I know. Um, so that's Andrew Walker. Oh, he and his wife... Uh, he's Canadian, by the way. 
he and his wife they have a cold, a cold press juice company that is called Little West, and it used to be called Clover, but they changed it to Little West to be named after their son, who is named West, and also their love of the West Coast. <laughs> I wish you could see the look on Liz's face I mean, right now. Okay, it's I, here's the thing. The name you give your brand, it's fine if it has significance to you, great. But it also has to telegraph to your customer what the actual product is. If you tell me something is called Little West, I'm like, is it a production company? I have no idea. Cold pressed juice company would not have been even on the radar for me. I would not have thought it was a good. I would have thought it was a service. Yeah, and then what would we name our child if we had to name it after both a place we liked <laughs> and a thing we liked? <laughs> I can't, I mean, the things we like are like, like books and trashy reality TV. So it'd be named like, like 90 Day Fiance Capriletti. Or like, oh, the one we really like, Mafsa Capriletti. Which actually sounds like it could be a name, Mafsa. Yeah. For the uninitiated, that's Married at First Sight Australia, which is... Please, please watch it. Just, I mean, you owe it to yourself... Also on Lifetime. Yes. And we've never been to Australia, but it looks beautiful. So it satisfies both qualities. Yeah. It could be the name of our child in a place we love. Mafsa Capriletti. <laughs> Coming never. Because I would never name a kid Mafsa. Um, Sean Benson, who plays Simon. He was in a recent show called The Boys, which is on Amazon. Uh, I've heard quite a few things about that show. I guess it's a superhero thing. I know that's not like huge on our radars. Never um, seen an Avenger movie, never seen a Marvel thing. Yeah. Don't know anything um, about DC. He's DCU. been in a bunch of stuff. He's also directed. Uh, he's also Canadian. Okay. Uh, I mean, it goes without saying that. So much so that he was in a Molson ad in 2000 <laughs> that he gets taunted by a doofy American office worker about saying A and other stereotypical Canadian things. Okay. And then he pulls the guy's shirt over his head like a hockey player uh, about to start a fight. And the campaign was, I am Canadian, which was pretty awesome. You know what's interesting about that? Both Americans and Canadians come away looking bad. Yeah. It's not an ad in favor of anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel Wilson, who plays Robin was in a show called Breaker High, which I had never heard of before. But it's interesting in that it was both Canadian and American, and it was about a high school on a cruise ship. And it aired on Canada's YTV and also UPN okay. in 1997-1998. Okay. Guess who else was on this show? Famous Canadian actor. Not Drake. No, no. Because he was on Degrassi. Yeah, right. This would be too... Uh, Drake would be too young for this. Okay. Um, oh my God. There's so many Canadian actors and I, I can't... I and my mind just went completely yeah. blank. Mike Myers? Too old, right? Yeah. Think like romantic lead. Romantic, like, lifetime lead? No, like, real world. Okay, because I, mean, I was like, like, like Jason Shane? Yeah, right. Um, TV or movie? Movie. Like, leading man. Oh, my God. Uh, ba -ba 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 Canadian. A single Canadian. I feel like I'm on Billy on the Street. He's, like, named <laughs> 20 Canadians, and I'm like, nope, forgot them all. I can think of their president's name, and I'm blanking um i mean i'm proud of myself that i can remember the president's name did you notice that book yeah <laughs> um famous canadian famous canadian 
think Young Bird is his last name. Like a type of bird? Uh, it's a name of a like a bird's young. Actually, also found in Canada, this bird. Like a chick? Yeah, yeah. I've confused you more. <laughs> James Chick. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you? Old Billy Chicklet. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, my I I the clue, unlike my Olsen twin clue, you've. You further murkied this. Yes, I realized that. It's Ryan Gosling. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> yes, he's like one of the quintessential romantic comedy, or romantic movie. I mean, yes, The Notebook yeah. is very famous. Apologies, Ryan Gosling, you're very famous. <laughs> I did not even... Th- I was thinking of smaller birds. Right. Sorry. Yeah, no, I probably should have talked to you... Well, my focus was specifically on the size of bird that has now built a nest in our bedroom window. That is true. Troy Blundell, who played Tyler, the policeman. Uh, I will note that he was in Handmaid's Tale in two episodes. Okay. He played Alfred's guardian. He's got a very Gilead look about him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like bad Gilead. Oh, like the yeah. The wrong yeah. side of Gilead. For sure. For sure. Jesse Camacho, who plays Oscar. Okay. Um... I thought this fact was really fun about okay. him. He graduated from Westmount High School in Montreal. Do you know who else graduated from Westmount High School in Montreal that is currently in a very high position in the United States government? In the United States government? Yeah, very high. Almost can't get higher. It's a woman. Nancy Pelosi? No, even higher. Kamala Harris? Yeah, I had no idea Kamala Harris went to high school in Montreal. Wait, did I say her name wrong? How's how's the appropriate name to say her name? I think it's Kamala. Kamala, okay. Huh. Yeah. She apparently lived in Canada for like her high school years. Oh my God, we shouldn't mention that. Now they're going to start asking for her birth certificate. Right, I know. Grown. Um, And the last thing that I wanted to say was this movie was inspired... By a true story, but it yeah. it really has not that much to do. Yeah. Um, but that's it, why they say inspired by, not based on. Yeah, it was inspired by the Ariel Castro kidnappings in Cleveland. You'd think I would know that, but I have no idea what that means. Yeah, it was the guy in Cleveland who kept three women. Uh, oh. In his. That uh, I do know. Yeah. It, and totally different situation. Completely folks. different. Yeah. He actually kept all of those women. Yes, he did. He didn't for like a decade. Yeah, he didn't. It wasn't like wife number one, and that's it. He kept and there all were children, them. and yeah, it's. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't realize there were children in that. Oh my yeah. god, those poor babies. Yeah, virtually nothing to do with this film except for the fact that there was were, a there was a man who yeah. kidnapped women and yeah. kept them. Yeah, I mean. Did he even keep them in the basement? I have no idea. I did not. I don't, I don't think he kept really. them in the basement. No. So it's, I mean, there are, my only point in saying that is that there are other cases that are much closer to the bunker. Could have been any kidnapping case. He could have watched an episode of Kimmy Schmidt and been like, that yeah. was the inspiration and that feels closer. Right. Although this predates Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. All right. That's trivia. That's trivia. Okay. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at husbandandwifetime at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at husbandwifetime or on Instagram at husbandandwifetime. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. Bye. Bye.